Welcome to episode 31 of the Princeton Podcast. In this episode, our host, Mayor Mark Frieda, caught up with Matthew Stiff, Chief of the Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad. In addition to discussing Matt's background and 15-year experience with the squad, Mark and Matt discuss the history of the Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad from its beginnings back in 1939. Matt described the squad's new facility, its skilled staff, its coordinated relations with our fire and police departments, and its extensive capabilities to provide aid to our community in critical times of medical emergencies and physical rescues. The Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad is a highly respected organization operated by skilled professionals and dedicated volunteers. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, Matthew Stiff, for episode 31 of the Princeton Podcast. Hey, Matt, thanks for uh, joining us here today. Nice to be here. So, Matt, I thought maybe if you would introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your role with Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad. So, my name is Matt Stiff. Uh, I am currently the chief of the Rescue Squad. Um, I started here back in 2007 as a career staff member, uh, worked my way to lieutenant um, as one of the crew chiefs of one of the shifts, and then made rescue captain, and then last year was promoted to deputy chief, and then uh, became chief earlier this year. Yeah, thank you. And just for our listeners, I might mention PFARS instead of saying Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad all the time, but PFARS means Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad, just so people out there listening know what I'm talking about. So, hey, Matt, what are some of the highlights of what the PFARS chief does? Uh, so the chief is really just the the leader of the operational side of the of the squad so they manage you know the day-to-day activities you know what you know the calls going on what what trucks go out the doors if any big events happen um, and a lot of just managing the staff and you know the day-to-day operations so uh let's go back to when you first got involved with uh, i could say with princeton with princeton first aid and rescue squad but let's just say when did you first get involved in ems and kind of tie it all together for us so i kind of took a non-traditional route to EMS. Um, so I grew up in Hunterdon County. I went to North Hunterdon High School. Um, and as a senior, I really didn't have any plans on what I was doing with my life. No real, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, traditionally a lot of, you know, EMS people or, you know, fire emergency services, I knew as a kid, I wanted to do that. And that wasn't really my case. Um, so as a senior in high school, I, you know, Got into college, declared, you know, no major. I was just going undeclared, um, really no sense of what I wanted to do. And uh, that year in in high school, right before prom, uh, my high school started the Every 15 Minute program, um, which is, um, you know, Princeton High School used to do a similar program. Basically, every 15 minutes, um, somebody dies uh, related to a alcohol uh, driving incident. Um, so throughout that day, they would pull a student out of class every 15 minutes to, you know, signify that they, you know, were killed in a drunk driving incident. And then at the end of the day, um, the junior and senior classes, uh, were brought outside. They had a big tarp over the parking lot and they played a, um, pre-recorded 911 dispatch, you know, to the high school for an accident. And they, they pulled that tarp off and, you know, several of the students that had been removed during the day um, were now acting as, you 
know, people that were in that accident and they had the full, you know, the 911 call, the dispatch, you know, ambulances respond, police, helicopters, fire, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle and was, you know, that was the first time I've ever seen something like that. And we had no idea what was going on when it started and just that complete hush that came over the crowd and, you know, watching that as, as soon as I saw that and, you know, was digesting, I was like, you know what, this is, this is something I want to do. So going into college, I was, you know, trying to figure out what, what can I do to, you know, get in emergency services for a career. So law enforcement was really the, the prime opportunity. There wasn't so much, you know, paid EMS or, or fire up here uh, at that point. Um, so started going, looking into law enforcement and then a friend of mine, um, joined the, the local rescue squad, um, and said that it was, you know, a really enjoyable experience. Um, you know, love the EMT stuff. So I was like, sure, you know, I, I haven't done anything medical, no real experience with that, but you know, it, it sounds like something that would be cool to kind of, you know, fill the time between, you know, while I'm in college and going to the Academy for law enforcement and, from day one, just got hooked. Um, just loved it from the, my very first shift. Um, and then as soon as I had enough time in, um, applied to Princeton for a per diem job. Um, that lasted all of about two months and then went to a full-time job and haven't looked back since. There you go. And just for people listening, when Matt refers to EMT, it means emergency medical technician. Um, and we should also note, Matt, because in your role here with PFARS over many years, you've worked with Corner House when they've done a similar uh, motor vehicle crash demonstration, whatever you want to call it, at Princeton High School. Correct. Yeah, they, they had the same program there. Um, so again, having come into this career, having that as a driving force, when that started up here, um, obviously I love doing that program. Um, I, I really think it makes a huge difference to the community seeing that stuff. Um, so having, you know, students against drunk driving, mothers against drunk driving, corner house, all these organizations put into this stuff. Um, you know, I think it's a huge part to have the, the high schools push those programs. Yeah. All right. Let me ask one more question about you. Then we'll get into more about PFARS, but I always like to ask our guests, where did you grow up? So I grew up, like I said, in Hunter and County. Um, so I was born and raised in Clinton. Um, I've moved various times within Hunter and County. I'm currently in Flemington, um, really just getting closer to here. At, at one point in my career, I was out on the, the PA border in Hunter and County, which was giving me about an hour and a half commute to work. Um, so that needed to change. Um, so moving to Flemington, cut my commute into about a third. So I'm a little bit closer here to coming back and forth to work. Yeah. So uh, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what type of organization is PFARS? So PFARS has the opportunity that, you know, emergency services in this town goes back, you know, long before, you know, even this country happened. So the Princeton Fire Department is really where we started. Um, Princeton Fire started, you know, as, you know, the, the bucket brigades of, you know, old times right around when this country was formed. Um, so the Princeton first aid and rescue squad started as a unit from Mercer, Mercer engine company, number one. So that was the first aid unit. Princeton engine company, number one, just cause the firefighters listening will, uh, my apologies. <laughs> yes. Um, so we started as uh, the first aid unit there. Um, and that was back in, um, 1939. 
um, we moved over to the Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad uh, after we moved into our, you know, our building. So the rescue company started in 1957, um, one of the first rescue companies in the state. Um, and that was, you know, once we created a, we got a boat, we had a, you know, a, tr a van that was carrying some basic rescue equipment, obviously far different than what we have with our current rescue truck, but that's, you know, where we got our start. And then we moved into the North Harrison Street address in uh, 1963. Um, the squad, you know, started with a, a three bay Cadillac ambulance um, station over there, um, put the addition on for a bigger rescue truck. Um, as vehicles continued to grow, you know, we really kind of outgrew that building. We had, we, we joked for a while, we, we created tent city over there, had a number of our vehicles sitting outside under tents. Um, you know, we had to shuffle things around. Things were very tight in our buildings to the point where we had to have our, our mirrors reversed so that it would clear the, the bays that were designed for Cadillacs. Um, and then we moved into our current facility in 2019, which is obviously built to the new standards of modular ambulances or new larger rescue trucks. And all of our equipment can actually, you know, fit into the building. So that's, you know, a huge step in the, the right direction, I think. Yeah. And, and actually, the new building at 2 Mount Lucas Road, the squad's been in there three years and three days now. Oh, well, that's a, that's a happy anniversary. Just because the uh, date's on the wall and I saw it this morning, so I know exactly when it was. <laughs> that's nice. The Rescue Squad is a, we're a nonprofit, so there's a lot of different models uh, in the state of New Jersey about you know, how EMS functions. Um, some of them are municipal-based. Um, you've got private entities uh, like hospital-based systems. Um, so Princeton's um, a completely independent organization. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so we don't get any direct funding from the municipality. Um, all of our funding is primarily through donations. Um, and that's really our, you know, that's our, our lifeblood of what keeps us around is donations from, um, you know, our donors and, you know, our, you know, patients that are thankful for the services. Yeah. One thing, in fact, that I find really amazing in the state of New Jersey is that police services and fire services are deemed essential services, but emergency medical is not deemed an essential service, which just, not that I'm looking for a lot of comment, but it just makes no sense to me because, I mean, the EMS calls far outnumber nowadays fire calls because so much has changed with fire codes and fire prevention and everything. So it's just the service people are most likely to use in the state of New Jersey is not considered an essential service, which impacts funding and everything. Yeah, it really is mind blowing. And it's something that I think, I think a lot of the general public just isn't aware of. Um, you, you call 911, you don't really think of, well, who's getting this phone call and what's coming. You just automatically assume uh, I'm going to call in my moment of need and someone is going to come that's you know qualified to take care of me. Um, and there's, there's no guarantee for that. There's nothing, you know, we, we guarantee you're going to get a police car. We guarantee you're going to get a fire truck. You know, there's no guarantee you're getting an ambulance when you're, you know, in your moment of most need, which is, it's kind of scary. Yeah. And so just for the listeners to understand that since in New Jersey, EMS is not considered an essential service, that basically means that municipalities are not on the hook to provide that service if it doesn't already exist. However, they do have to make sure that they do have police and fire service 
which are called essential services. So either they have to provide it or have an agreement for somebody else to provide it. Very, you know, the disconnect just, anyway, one of those things. Yep, absolutely. So what is the, uh, interesting, my next question actually was, what is the squad's relationship with the other emergency services here? So we work great with our, uh, you know, our counterparts with uh, the fire department and uh, the police department. Um, You know, one of the benefits of our facility moving is we're all, you know, right across the street from each other now. Um, so we work really well with, uh, you know, the police department, we have them on, you know, pretty much every one of our calls. Um, they, you know, help us, you know, moving patients around, they help us first response stuff, uh, the fire department, um, you know, we work with them very routinely. We, we do a lot of the technical rescue stuff with them as well. Um, you know, our, our relationship with these departments is, you know, essential to making sure that, you know, as the end user, if someone calls 911, uh, you're you're getting a you know a seamless response, and you know we're being very efficient and making sure that you know the citizens of our town are being taken care of. Yeah. So you know, I want to jump back to the new building, the three year old building now, mm, yes. right? So maybe you could tell us why, you know, more about the building itself, but why it was so important for the squad to move into that new facility. So it covers really a lot of things. So it's the, the obvious of, you know, a vehicle's not going to last very long when it's sitting outside. Um, you know, just the normal wear and tear of New Jersey weather, um, you know, it's, it's going to beat up on the trucks. Um, but the, the new building really, you know, takes a lot of stress off of the crews. Um, if you look at our old building, a lot of our living space was quite literally in a basement. So we, you know, we operated in, you know, underneath our vehicle bays, um, we had a office space that was doubling as a server room and it was, you know, really it was a one desk office. And if you needed to have a meeting, you know, trying to fit two chairs in there was, was quite a task. Um, you know, we had two bunk rooms that each had two beds in them. The one bunk room, you know, doubled as our switchboard, uh, had all of our IT equipment in it. Um, so you're, you're laying there watching all the pretty lights flashing on the, the server racks and all that. Um, you know, that's where the electrical feed for the building was, um, you know, and you're, you have a wall separating the main working space of where all of our day crews were, you know, doing their desk work. And that's where the bunk room was. So we, we tried to squeeze a lot of life out of that building. Um, and then moving to this building, we've got a dedicated office space that's got, um, more than enough desk space for all of our career staff. It's on a completely different part of the building as our, you know, sleeping quarters, sleeping quarters is, you know, conveniently located right next to the bay. So we can, you know, get, make a rapid response to calls. Um, a lot of the training that we need to do to maintain our certifications, uh, we had to go out and try to find places. So we would, you know, we would rely on either the town or the university to give us, um, you know, a confined space to work in some sort of a, a, t- a tall building to do rope stuff off of that was all incorporated with our building. So now rain or shine, um, our crews can do, you know, round the clock training if needed to make sure that we're ready to go for whatever, you know, incident comes up. Let me, uh, let me ask you, what do you think if you guys, if the first and first aid and rescue squad was still in their old building when COVID started versus being in the new building, what kind of impact do you think that would have had? You know, it's really hard to think, you know, if, if we were in that building, if we were even, if our crews would even be able to, have been able to respond. Um, so to kind of explain that, you know, the tight quarters that we were in, 
you know, everything about COVID was, you know, making sure we had, you know, good airflow. Everyone was, you know, social distancing. There was no social distancing in that building. I mean, if you were in the kitchen with another person, you, you were bumping into them no matter what. Um, you couldn't have a meal and not be right in somebody's face. Um, everyone was operating, you know, the desks were literally right across from each other. Um, there was not good airflow in that building. Obviously, it's, it's a much older design building. We did what we could, but it wasn't the you know, high efficiency air exchange systems that we have in this current building. Um, we didn't have all, we, you know, we didn't have any windows. Now I'm, I'm thinking back <laughs> to it. Um, we had, you know, those casement windows in the basement and that was, you know, you had three little windows you can open, but in the office, there was no windows. Um, the new buildings, obviously, you know, sun, sunshine with windows and, and airflow. And it's, it's quite a step in the right direction versus the old, the old station. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a difference and really works to the benefit of the entire, Absolutely. entire community. So let me, one thing that I just popped into my head is maybe you could explain a little bit, um, you know, I know members of the fire department and first aid squad carry their pagers or they have their phones with different apps so that they know when there's calls. But I think, you know, some people ask me, you know, how long does it take to get an ambulance? And I think they still have this idea of the 1960s and 70s emergency organizations where you carried a pager and you left your house and drove to wherever. But that's really not how the squad operates. Yeah. So our, our primary response is we are, you know, staffed 24-7. You know, every, every day of the year, we don't take holidays off, nothing like that. <laughs> so when you call 911, primarily that ambulance is coming from our station or wherever they happen to be in town. And as soon as that 911 call comes in, that gets sent to us and that ambulance is on the road. Um, so, you know, we maintain an average response time of you know, just over six minutes. It's like six minutes, 10, 11 seconds. Um, we base our response off of, you know, industry standards, uh, the industry standards a nine minute response time. So we're well below that. Um, we, you know, take a lot of pride and make sure that we analyze a lot of our call statistics to make sure that, you know, if we start, you know, our time start getting longer or we have any issues, we're always, you know, proactive in correcting that, um, because we want to get our trucks out on the road as soon as possible. Um, we have a second truck that's there from nine to seven every day. So even if we have, you know, an initial, you know, request for service, we have a second truck also immediately on the road. Um, and then that's where the, the pagers and the apps start coming in. Um, if it's a, a bigger assignment, some sort of a, a mass, you know, casualty incident, or if it's a fire and you need additional staff, the initial units will be on the road immediately, but we'll, we're able to backfill with our, you know, our volunteer staffing, um, to get additional units on the road, our rescue truck, um, the additional third, fourth ambulance, our boat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just take a look at, uh, let's say a few years back, 2018 versus 2022, about to be 2023. So, you know, how's the squad changed? It seems to me to be a pretty professional organization. So I imagine it's keeping up to date with all kinds of things. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, the, the world changed with COVID. So, you know, a lot of things um, needed change because of that. Um, so we, you know, had some position changes. We had uh, someone come into our, our ICO, our infection control officer position. Um, that became essential uh, to make sure that well, our staffing stayed on. Um, you could see all over the news, you know, hospitals and EMS systems just getting taxed to the max. Um, you have one crew 
you know, get infected with COVID, that could shut your entire organization down. Um, so luckily we had uh, Brian Hill come in, um, had the, you know, the, the training to be able to fill that position. And he made sure all of our policies were, you know, top notch, making sure that we were, you know, following the, the strictest masking policies. Um, you know, we were fortunate we didn't have any of our members actually get um, infected on calls with COVID. Um, so that was huge. We didn't lose our staffing. You know, we kept our trucks up throughout that whole pandemic, um, which was obviously essential to being able to provide services. You can't do anything if you're yourself sick. So we had to keep our, our own members well. Um, so our call numbers we had, um, it was, it's kind of funny if you look nationally, organizations were all over the place. Either you had a huge increase in calls or you had a huge decrease in calls. Um, with the, you know, Princeton University shutting down, um, a lot of people are, you know, you're taking their classes from home. We don't have that student base here. Um, so for us, all, our call number dropped significantly. Um, so we actually, you know, went down probably about a thousand calls. We were, you know, somewhere around the 2200 mark um, where our normal 3000 call volume um, just because we didn't have the people in town. Um, so, you know, we saw steady increases, you know, since the day we went in service. And then all of a sudden we had this this huge decrease. Um, and then this year um, we're finally seeing the rebound of, you know, people getting back to normal lives, universities getting back to more of a normal schedule. We've got athletics going on again. Um, so we did probably about 2,500 calls last year. We're probably going to end up around the the 3,000 call mark this year, which gets us back to a, a normal year's call volume. Yeah. So in, in one of your replies just a couple of minutes ago, you had mentioned the, the heavy rescue truck, a boat. So what are the different capabilities of, of PFARS as far as all the, anyway, what sort of disciplines do you guys? So our, our rescue company, again, we were one of the, the first rescue companies in the state. Um, and we've always, you know, taken pride of, you know, having the, the newest technologies, being able to handle, you know, any emergencies that came at us. Um, and a lot of the increases in technology, you know, obviously cars have changed quite a bit since, you know, our incorporation, you know, back in, you know, the forties, the sixties, you know, move the generations up equipment changes. Um, so if you look at the history of our rescue trucks, the rescue trucks got, went from a van to, you know, a, a single axle truck. Our, our last rescue that we just got rid of was, you know, a custom built single axle rescue. And our, we have a new truck that will be coming in, um, hopefully January, February of next year, um, which is obviously the biggest truck we've ever had here. It's going to be a, a dual rear, rear axle walk-in. Um, it's going to hold um, more equipment than we've, we've ever needed to carry before. Um, you know, as requirements grow to carry more stuff for confined space rescues. So we have someone that gets trapped doing, you know, service work in like a manhole or, you know, cleaning a tank, basically any operation in a, area that you're not meant to prolong an activity. Um, we do trench rescue. So if, you know, a utility worker gets stuck in a, in a, a trench that they've dug, uh, we have all the equipment to do that. A structural collapse. Um, so we, we see a, a fair share of that in this town. Um, a lot of it is accident driven. So a, a vehicle drives into a building. Um, we obviously need to make sure we're taking care of the patient. We're taking care of the, the auto extrication, which we also do, but also stabilizing that that building so that, you know, if 
someone needs to get their belongings out of it uh, or it needs to be shored up before engineering can look at it. That's all you know, responses that we do. Um, we also provide um, various water um, rescues. So we do swift surface, um, high water rescue. Um, all of that has its own equipment that needs to be moved around. Um, so we have a boat that is specifically made to do um, water rescues, especially with flooding. So it's it's got a, you know, versus a, a traditional boat that has a propeller that spins on the back. Ours uses um, an intake system. So there's no actual spitting part. Um, so we can go through very shallow water. So if, you know, Princeton has the habit of when it floods, it becomes more or less an island. So if we need to get, you know, patients in and out of flood zones, we have the capabilities to do that. Um, we also do uh, ice rescue and then various different um, rope rescues. So we'll do what's known as structural rope rescue. So if you are, you know, say you're on, you're doing work on your house, you're stuck on a ladder, you're stuck on some scaffolding, um, you know, we'll come up, we work with the fire department, we'll use their ladder truck to create a, a high point to be able to access them to, you know, safely get them down. Um, we'll do low angle rescue. So if you're stuck on like a hill or, you know, some sort of an embankment um, so we can safely package you and get you back up to where the ambulance is and take you to the hospital. Quite a lot, quite a lot. Quite a lot. It's yeah. amazing. So, you know, I think one of the, the important things to any organization, but especially PFARS, is um, volunteers. So how do you recruit volunteers and what do you look for in volunteers? So obviously, you know, the volunteer aspect of our squad is, you know, that's, that's where we started and that's where we hope to always be. That's a, a huge part of our, you know, our ability to get trucks out the door and that ability to have that surge ability we were talking about before, when you get those multiple assignments, um, that's, that's all leaning on our volunteers. Um, you know, kind of based off of my own personal history, you don't really need to have any interest in anything in particular, any, you know, real skill sets. It's, it's open to anybody. Um, you know, we provide all of the training in house, um, obviously having the, the medical knowledge or, you know, aptitude is, is great, but it's not even something you need to have coming in. Uh, we provide all that training. Um, we do recruitment drives um, in various locations in town. We recruit a lot on Princeton University. Um, you know, the, that need for volunteers is, is huge. Um, we, you know, we take anybody, anybody that's, that's willing to help out. Um, we have a lot of, uh, different backgrounds. I mean, you have people that are, you know, with accounting, you know, they're, you know, teachers, you name it. And they, they volunteer as EMTs, um, you know, rescue people, it's the same thing. Um, it really doesn't matter what your background is. Um, the skill sets, um, it, it's really for anybody. Um, we love to have, you know, in community members, uh, we get a lot of people from the university. Um, it works well with the university and like their medical programs. Um, it's a, it's a natural fit to have, you know, people wanting to get in the medical field start as an EMTs. Um, the unfortunate part of that is we usually get them for their college careers and then they go off, go back home, you know, move on with their careers. Um, so it's, it's great having, you know, established in town residents that join and we, you know, get, many more years out of them. Um, we look for a two-year commitment, um, but really the, the backbone of the squad is the, the residents of, of the municipality that are here for you know, the long-term and can provide you know, many years of service. Yeah. And, and just to point out, you don't have to live in Princeton to- Oh, absolutely to not. We have, we have members from 
you know, we have a life member that comes in from, you know, upstate New York and New York City. Uh, we've got members from all over the place. You know, we've got university students that, you know, came out here to go to school, then went back home, but they still, you know, make the trip out here to ride their hours every month. Um, just again, because it's, it's something that once you, you get involved, you, you get hooked. So, um, you know, you had mentioned training and all that. So what is the volunteer training process like? So the volunteer training process, we, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at the process we do to, to get people in the door um, and how we can make it, you know, efficient and as less of a burden on them as possible. So our current um, style is pretty similar to, you know, a lot of like the academy settings is we have a, a it's much more informal, uh, but we'll have like a recruit class. So you'll come in with, you know, a number of other brand new people. We give you you know, basic training on, you know, the organization, how we function, how our ambulances are set up, you know, basic functions of, you know, this is what you're going to do on a, a call as you learn your EMT skills. So that'll get you in the door that gets you started. And then we will send you off to uh, an EMT program, you know, which is that gets you your state certification that you'll do all of your, you know, your CPR training, you'll do all of your, your bandaging, airway management and all that stuff to get your state certification. Um, and then really after that is where you're, you know, completing a crew on an ambulance. Right. And we should just mention the squad has a website that people could go to, to, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to our website, um, org slash volunteer, um, there's a, there's a video on there that can walk you through the, the entire process. Um, it'll tell you about the, the EMT class. Um, the EMT class is really based off of, um, it's, it's, it's about a six credit college course. That's what it, the, the equivalent is. Um, so it is, it's about 212 hours of, of learning. Um, there's a lot of, you know, anatomy in there, airway stuff, um, and all your basic skills to earn your, your EMT certification. Um, and, and our website has all that information on there. Um, and then we have a, an in-house training program that goes along with that. So it's not just that you get, you know, that initial info dump, if you would, of, you know, you go through EMT class and they sit, they send you off, you know, to save lives. You know, we make sure that we do an in-house training as well, just to make sure you get that repetition and you get your, your skills all tuned. Yeah. And I, and I just want to make sure that people got the, uh, the website, pfars.org and it's PFARS, which is the initials for Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad. So pfars.org go there look up how to volunteer um just squad is always looking for volunteers always yep. we, we we rely on that um and again anybody can do it so if anyone that has any interest in doing it we take people from all sorts of backgrounds so what do you think are some of the highlights of being a member of princeton first aid and rescue squad uh, so the big thing is just you know you become very attached to the people that you ride with um, so we, we joke all the time that we become kind of like an extended family. We do a lot of um, holiday events together. We'll have, you know, we, we just had a, a holiday party um, earlier in the week where, you know, members come in, we, you know, bring food, we hang out with each other. Um, another great benefit of our, our new building is we've got places to just kind of hang out. And, you know, it's, it's a place to literally just hang out with your friends. Um, if a call comes out, you're, you're there, you can jump on a truck. Um, we've got, you know, places to just hang out and study. Um, we've got, you know, you can come in and do your homework. It gives you a place to do that where you're not just, you know, sitting looking at the four walls in your bedroom all day long. You can, you know, get out and do things. 
Um, a lot of it's the camaraderie. It's just you, you build these relationships on uh, calls and just hanging around the station um, and you get a lot of you know, lifelong friendships out of it. So that's, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing that you can pull out of it. So what do you, let me, that kind of drives me to this question. So what, what do you think you have personally gained from your time with PFARS? So again, when I, when I went into this, I had no expectations of what my career was going to be. So this was a, a part-time thing that I was, you know, I have an EMT cert. I like doing EMS. I'll just, you know, earn some, some bucks here and there as, as filling in shifts. And I was working full-time hours basically from day one. Um, my first couple shifts just really enjoyed the people here, just really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the different things that you see. Uh, Princeton's a, a unique community. You have opportunities to do a lot of different stuff with, you know, EMS and rescue. Um, we've got great relationships with, you know, police and fire, which, you know, obviously makes working together much easier. Um, uh, professionally, you know, getting all that training, um, you know, makes you much more well-rounded individual. Um, you, you get to deal with people having, you know, in some cases the worst days of their lives. And that's something that not everybody can say like, oh, you know, I saw somebody that was in their absolute worst and I was able to get them through it and, you know, bring a little light into a dark situation. Um, so that, you know, is a, a huge thing to be able to say at the end of the day that you genuinely helped somebody. Yeah, that's, that's well said. I mean, it's hard to, that sense of satisfaction when you've done something of that magnitude for somebody else is pretty amazing. All right, one last question, and then we'll, I'll let you get out of here, because who knows, you might have another call to go on soon. But um, any events we should be looking forward to in 2023 involving the Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad? Um, so we're, we like to be you know, very active in the community. Um, so we you know, help out with you know, community health fairs. We do blood pressure screenings, cholesterol screenings. Um, you know, we'll, we'll provide, um, we work with you know, so the senior centers in handing out um, you know, information packets. Um, so you can basically have all of your information, all the medications you take, um, your, what your normal vital signs are, put it in a little folder and put it on your fridge so that, you know, if you need to make that 911 call, you have something that can provide all your information if you, for whatever reason, are in, unable to give it. Um, we do uh, an annual 5K fundraiser we've been doing the past couple of years. Um, so that'll be in the fall. And then we'll have uh, an open house around EMS week. Um, you know, one of the, the bad parts about COVID is we had this brand new building we wanted to show off and we moved in and had to basically close the doors to visitors. Um, so, you know, during EMS week in June, um, we'll have the building open. And, you know, now that we're in a better place, we, we love showing off, you know, our equipment and our facility to, you know, everybody. It's, it's a great, unique facility um, and we love having people around. Matt, thanks. I really want to tell you how much we appreciate you being here today, but also all that PFARS and all their members do for the community. Absolutely. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Thank you for joining us for the 31st episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media, providing audio and video production services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends. Visit our website at princetonpodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.